neighbor, you are listening to the New Garden Church podcast, and we are so glad you're here. Our church meets at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can join us in person, or you can catch our gatherings after the fact on our YouTube channel. We would love to hear from you. In 2022, we are studying the Bible together through the lens of our theme, Life is a Garden. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. Well, good morning. Happy Sunday. Good to see everybody today. If this is your first time here, my name's Jeff. I am the lead minister at New Garden, at least for one more day, and I'm excited to be with you here. It was 10 years ago in March that I started up on the hill at Hermitage Church of Christ as a student minister. And I remember coming in my first day and going, if you've been there, going downstairs to where the youth kind of room is, and then outside there's kind of that little fellowship hall. And I believe, if, if my memory serves me correctly, it was in that room that Dylan Carmack um, came up to me. And he was, how old were you 10 years ago? Four, 14, okay, yeah. Um, so a little bit younger. And he's, anytime there's a new minister, you know, there's always, some people are happy, some people are not. There's, oh, we love the last person. Oh, we're not excited or whatever it may be. And Dylan, he said, hey, I know a lot of people are not happy about you being here, but I'm going to give you a chance. And I, and I was like, Man, that's, all I, that's all I want. And so I feel like for 10 years, you guys have continued to give me chances, chance after chance, from student ministry to teaching and preaching and moving over here and, and doing all these things. So thank you. I see a lot of faces that um, don't see often, but it is good to see you this morning. Um, it means a lot that you guys are here, so thank you for for being here. Um, We have been in a series called Life is a Garden, and um, we started on page one, and we started to kind of trace through different stories in the Bible that portray garden ideas and um, and the, the purpose of what the garden is, this place to be with God in this partnership, right? Um, and today we are going to, we got to skip a lot of different things, but we're going to get to the last page of the Bible, and that's where we're going to be. But first I want to share one of my favorite books that our kids have. Um, I guess this is an imagination library book, but it's called The Rabbit Listened. And this book, it starts off with this kid named Taylor who, he decides to build something, something new, something special, and something amazing. And Taylor was so proud. But out of nowhere, disaster happened. And then over the course of the book, different people show up. The chicken, the elephant, the bear. And they all give Taylor a different solution to his problem. Some of them say you need to get angry. Some of them say you need to get even. Some of them say you need to forget about it, laugh about it. But there's a rabbit who shows up at the beginning and just sits next to Taylor and just waits. Doesn't give his opinion, just waits and listens. Until Taylor, he finally gets through all of these different emotions. And then at the very end of the book, Taylor says, and when the time was right, the rabbit listened to Taylor's plan to build again. And Taylor said, I can't wait because 
It's going to be amazing. And you get this like picture of what Taylor dreams is going to happen, that he can take out of the disaster of what has happened and yet hope for what the future holds. And so that's, that's really one of the hopes that we have as Christians, one of our main hopes. It is in what has happened, in the fact that Jesus has come, has put on flesh, has lived a life, has taught, has shown love, has died for us, has been resurrected from the dead as the first fruits, this promise of what we all as believers will experience. And yet that promise, it catapults the hope forward to what is going to happen, not just for believers, but for all creation. And so when you think about the last page of, of the Bible or the last page of the story, we often think, you know, we might define that as heaven. And so the main idea today is what you think about heaven impacts how you live on earth. But one struggle is, is this word heaven means so many different things in different contexts to different people. Um, and, and so when we use the word heaven, we have to kind of define it and be specific so we know we're talking about the same thing. Because heaven is, it's now in another place, it's here in another time, and it's here and now in another way. And so we're trying to figure out, okay, what does this look like? Is heaven the place where you go after you die? Some people say, yeah, that's where heaven is. And yet, ultimately, heaven is that place everybody goes after that. N.T. Wright would say it's life after life after death. It's this promise of resurrection, this promise of eternal life with God and with fellow believers. Um, and, and again, this is what instills ultimate hope in us, that we can endure any tragedy, that we can um, overcome any obstacle, because we know that the, the God of comfort comforts us with the peace that passes understanding, that the world may not understand, but we have a hope that goes beyond the grave, that even though we see our loved ones not with us here anymore, we still have a hope that we will be reunited with them someday. We see tragedy happen, and we know that someday all weapons in the world will be turned into uh, plowshares and, and, and tools to, to help people and not hurt people. And so this is the hope that we hold on to. Um, Jenna, uh, we were talking last night, she, she often has this, she reads so many books and listens to so many books, um, but if a book isn't going the way she wants it to, and maybe you're like this, she will either, if it's a physical book, like flip to the last couple pages and make sure things are turned out right, or she'll Google it, like, does this person get together with this other person in the end? Like, I need to know before I waste all my time reading the whole story. Like, I want to know that the end of the story is worth everything that is going to happen. And while the Bible is full of all kinds of characters and stories and, and people that we connect with that, that bring meaning to our life, ultimately, if the end of the story isn't good, then why waste our time on the rest of the story? But I've got good news. The end of the story is better than we could ever ask or imagine or come up with ourselves. But if you've been around here for very long, you know to get to the end, we got to start <laughs> at the beginning. So page one, this is where we began um, in January. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created what's up there. He created what's down here. And what's down here ultimately when it started was formless and empty. 
wild and waste, uninhabited, unordered, not a good place for humans to be. And so what God does is he speaks into this place and he brings order out of the chaos. He brings a place where life can flourish and, and he brings, uh, uh, he creates a space where he can put humans and then partner with humans to just make everything great. But in the beginning, darkness was over the surface of the, the deep waters. The Spirit of God was there hovering over these deep waters, that God's Spirit is there amongst the chaos, and he brings life. And so we looked at page one and two, where God, again, he orders creation, he fills creation, and then he brings humanity and places them in this garden. And he gives them this mandate to rule and to reign and to be blessed and to multiply and to take God's good creation and make it gooder and more and you know, spread it out, and that God will be with them and partner with them, and they will co-rule and reign with God on earth and that God will live with them in this temple garden. We, we talked about how Eden was on this, the Bible portrays Eden as on top of this high mountain, that there's a river of life that runs through it and a tree of life that is planted in the middle of the garden, and that God meets with his people on these high places. But you turn just a couple pages, and page three, humanity, they make this decision of saying, we're not going to live under the rule and reign of God, but we're going to reach out and take this knowledge of good and evil for ourselves and decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. And so they face consequences, but amongst the consequences, God gives this promise in Genesis 3.15. God says, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, between the serpent's offspring and hers. He, the, the woman's seed, will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And so we, from the page three, we have this promise of a redeemer, a Messiah, an anointed one, somebody who is going to ultimately overcome the sin that the serpent led humanity into. And so we looked at story after story of potential people who could be this Savior. Is it going to be Noah who delivers his family through the chaos waters, and he ends up on a high place, and he builds this altar, and he meets with God, and God gives him this, this covenant and this mandate to be blessed and to multiply, but ultimately it's not Noah. We turn the page and we find Abram, and God calls Abram, and Abram, through faith, leaves you know, his, his, his father and his household, and he just follows God in faith. And Abram, he's like, does so many good things, and yet time after time, he, he's not the one. We looked at um, Moses, how Moses, again, meets God on a high place in this burning tree, and, and Moses, he delivers the people, and yet he is not able to go into the promised land ultimately. And so we read through all these characters, and then throughout the Old Testament, you also have these prophets who do, who prophesy to the people of saying, hey, today, this is the hope that you have for today, but ultimately, let me give you a vision for the future. And in Isaiah, Isaiah 65, Isaiah tells the people this from God. God says, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying and of coughing and of sniffles will be heard no more. And he says, before they call, I will answer. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. In other words, I'm, I'm going to be with them. I'm going to be near them. The wolf and the lamb they're not enemies anymore. They're going to feed together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. Finally, that serpent gets what he deserves. 
and they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, says Yahweh. And so the, the puzzle pieces start coming together of this promised Savior who is going to ultimately crush the head of the serpent to overcome sin and death. And added to that promise is this renewed creation that we as earth people are, are called to continue to partner with God. But right now it's still broken. We're sick. We cry. Death happens. Like all these things that we have to endure here on earth, but God says someday that stuff is going to be removed as well. Just as the serpent was crushed, all this other stuff is going to be crushed in a new creation. Um, We looked at the story of Noah and how when Noah comes off the ark, it's like this new creation, that that is what God is about. He is about this recreation of the garden. It's like a new garden every time he gets involved. And so when you get through the story of Jesus... And Jesus has come, he's, he's brought little pockets of God's rule and reign into the earth. He's healed the sick, he's made the blind see, he's brought love, he's, he's served, ultimately giving up his life on the cross, and then he overcomes death through the resurrection. This new kingdom has begun, this kingdom of God, that anybody who claims belief in Jesus as the Savior can now live under his rule, no longer reaching out for the tree of the knowledge of wisdom for myself, but submitting to that and reaching out for the tree of life, which is Jesus, and living under his rule and his reign, saying, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, and and living life and treating others the way that Jesus would treat people. And then Jesus, he leaves his disciples, but he promises them, this is not the end. Like, I am going to return someday and make all things right. Ultimately, I will put all things under the rule and reign of of me, you know? Like, I'm going to be the king. And so John, one of the beloved disciples, um, he writes different letters. um, He writes a gospel. And then he gets this revelation, this apocalypse, this vision that God gives him, much like God gave to Isaiah, much like he gave to prophets of the old, he gives to John this vision of, what, of things to come because John is writing to a people under persecution. I mean, we in America, a couple years ago, Christians were crying out, we're so persecuted because there's this COVID thing and the government says we can't meet in our building and woe is us. It's like, that's not persecution. Okay, if the government was ripping you out of your home cutting off your head and putting it on a spike to tell other people don't be a Christian, that's what was happening in the first century. That's what was happening to the people that John was writing to. And so when John is writing his revelation, it is a reminder of, listen, you can endure. Because ultimately what happens here in this world, it's, it's temporary, but what you are doing is you're making a deposit, a guarantee of things that are to come. And one of those visions that John receives is this vision of what is to come. And because we can see the end of the story, we can now live into our life today, living as if the story has already happened. And so this is the vision John gets in Revelation 21. He says, I saw, I saw the thing that Isaiah spoke about. I saw this new heaven and this new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, they they passed away and there was no longer any sea, which I think is a, uh, harkens back to Genesis 1, verse 1. Remember the chaos waters? 
And throughout the Old Testament, that's where like the, the, the Leviathan and all these deep, chaotic sea creatures, it's like, that's gone. The chaos is gone. It's peace now. I don't think that means there's not going to be water, you know, <laughs> ultimately in eternity, but I think it means the chaos is not there. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, for some of us who have got to officiate weddings, it's like the best part. You're standing there, the groom is here, you know, the anticipation, the music begins, everybody stands, the back door is open, and then the gasps, like, oh man, and here she comes, right? That's like this, this picture, this feeling that John receives when he's like, this new city of Jerusalem coming down is like this crescendo, this moment that everybody has been anticipating. And so one thing I want to look at is the nature of the kingdom. Growing up, I always thought, man, heaven is this, you know, when I die, my soul goes to be with Jesus forever, and we're on the clouds singing worship songs forever and ever, right? The only problem with that is that it's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that heaven, we don't go to heaven. Heaven comes here. God's kingdom comes to rule and reign on this new creation, this new place, that this is the new temple of God, and that we get to live with God forever. That God, uh, the city comes out, and he he hears a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will be wiping away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no mourning, no crying, no nor pain, for the old order of things has passed away. In other words, like this is the hope that we have, that someday God's kingdom will come in its fullness everywhere. In the Old Testament... God gave instructions for them to build a tabernacle and then for them to build a temple. And in the temple, there was this one room. It was 30 feet wide, 30 feet long, and 30 feet high. It was known as the Holy of Holies. And that is where God's presence would dwell. And one day a year, one person, one man, the high priest, would be able to go into the Holy of Holies and make atonement for all of the people. But now, This holy of holy is not this one small space relegated for one person to come in and meet with God once a year. But now, in the new creation, everything is the holy of holies. That God's presence will dwell. That the new temple will will be everything. And and he goes on. So, uh, he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Again, imagine if you're facing persecution, what better words, what better promise to hold on to, to say, listen, Caesar, if you kill me now, that's, I mean, that's fine, because my ultimate hope is not in the body that I have here, but it is in the resurrected body that Jesus promised, that he's the first fruits of the resurrection. And someday, man, I'm coming out of that grave because I've put my faith in Jesus. 
for those who don't put their faith in Jesus, the uh, cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, all liars. These are the people you don't want to be grouped up with at school for a project, you know? In heaven, you don't have to worry about that. Those people aren't going to be there, okay? They're going to be consigned to this lake of burning sulfur. It's a second death. And then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, let me show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And it shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. In other words, uh, any great city in, in that time would have a wall. But this wall wasn't designed to keep people out. It has three gates on every side welcoming people in. These gates never close. They're, they're open and ready, inviting people to come in. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. In other words, it's a cube, right? Does that remind you of anything? It's, it's like a, a metaphor for this holy of holies, that Jerusalem in the Old Testament had a holy of holies. But in, in this picture of heaven, Jerusalem is the holy of holies. In the Old Testament, there was a space relegated for God's presence. But in this vision, God's presence is everywhere. And while it's metaphorical in a lot of sense, this 12,000 stadia is, translates to about 1,400 miles. So it's the distance from like New York to Houston. So it's like half the size of the United States plus that high into the sky, which I don't think we're supposed to necessarily take literally other than John is getting this vision of like, this thing goes on and on and on. It's so huge, and God's presence is there dwelling with the people. And the foundations of the wall, they're decorated with all of these gems and emeralds and gold and all these brilliant things. And I didn't see a temple in the city. Why wouldn't you see a temple? Well, because the Lamb or the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory of God gives its light and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. No day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the lamb's book of life. So again, the nature of the thing is this picture. It's, it's going back to page one where humanity dwelt in a place with God, that God's presence was available to them, and it was lost when humanity decided to turn their backs on God. But anybody who repents and turns back to God submits their life to God, accepts the sacrifice of Jesus in their place, 
can hold on to this promise of this new, this new garden where God's presence will dwell and we will dwell with forever. So there's no worry about, oh, I got I to gotta get this done today. It's like, you, could, you got tomorrow to do it. You know, you can finish it anytime. There's not going to be any evil. There's not going to be any brokenness. There's not going to be any school shootings. There's not going to be any violence because everyone here submitted their heart to God and is living under his rule and is reigning with God in this world. What a hope to hold on to. And that is the hope that can help us. It's like if I got, if I got John and Alex up here on the stage, right? And I said, hey guys, I've got a job for you. Um, I've got this, this uh, thingamajig, right? And I've got a doohickey. And I want you to put the doohickey on the thingamajig and then take it off. And then once you do that, once you put the thingamajig back on the doohickey and then take it off. I want you to do that for 10 hours, okay? And Alex, at the end of the day, I'm going to give you $10, okay? John, at the end of the day, I'm going to give you a million dollars, okay? Who do you think is going to give up first? I think after about five minutes, Alex is like, I got 10 bucks. I'm going to go eat lunch. Like, this is dumb. I'm not doing this anymore. But John, man, he's going to be singing. He's going to be taking the thingamajig and the do hit. He's like, I don't care. Like, I don't understand this necessarily right now, but I know what is in store for me. I know the promise that has been given to me, and so I'm willing to go through and do anything in order to receive the inheritance that I've been promised. And I think this is kind of the picture of heaven, that sometimes I don't understand all of life. Like, God, it seems pointless at times, and yet there are glimpses. There are these thin spaces where heaven and earth kind of overlap in my life, and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I get it, and I want more of that. And so this is, this is the, the picture we get. So this is the, the final um, slide here uh, of Scripture. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. So remember the, the river in the garden that went out to water all the earth. There's a river at the throne of God now. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. There's no winter. The fruit just con continue, continues to go. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Remember chapter, page 3, this curse on the land, this curse on, on you know, humanity's uh, environment. It's going to be gone. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see him, you'll see his face, his name will be on their foreheads, there will be no more night, no, no scary things to encounter. They're gonna, not going to need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. It's like the perfect ending to an epic story. In the beginning, God created a place to rule and reign with humans. And at the end, he recreates a place to rule and reign with humans. And I don't, think, I don't think we think about heaven enough. Because I think if we got a better picture of what our eternal destination is, days like today would be less sad. The fact that, you know, I'm going to see some of you again in the coming months and years. And yet some of you, I may not. But the promise is that someday we will be reunited forever. 
And we can sing with Madeline for as ever long as we want to. And then we can go out and we can plant a garden together. And we can, we can like, learn and we can grow and we can continue to experience life in the presence of God. And this idea of holding on to the hope is this. What you hope for shapes what you live for. Um, it gives us a reason to live like Jesus. Jesus came. And Paul would say to the church at Philippi, even though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he gave that up and became a servant, giving his life ultimately on the cross because he knew the end game. He was able to endure because I think he knew what was going to happen, resurrection, eternal life, life with us forever. And so what we hope for can shape what we live for. When things don't work out, you know what? It's temporary. It's seasonal, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, and each week we come to a table. And this is, this is what we remember. We remember what God has done. But Jesus told his disciples, hey, take this cup because I'm not going to drink it again with you until the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And so every time we take this bread and we take this cup, we remember what Jesus has done, we remember what he is doing, but we also hold hope to his promise of what he's going to do when he comes again, when the trumpet blast sounds and we meet him in the skies and everything, new creation, new heavens, new earth, and we live with God forever. This is the promise that we have today. So um, here in a minute, we're going to stand. We've got three tables, two in the front, one in the back. That one's gluten-free if you need that. And let's just spend some time. Maybe you, you talk to somebody. What's what is the greatest hope in heaven that you have? What's the greatest hope that, that uh, encourages you today? So let me pray, and then we'll go to the table. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for a place that we can meet, that we can lift up your name in worship, that we can read your word and your promise. But God, help us to hold on to that every day, this hope that you long to be with us. Help us long to be with you. Be willing to serve and to sacrifice in order for other people to know your will and your love. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, the life that he lived, the death that he died, but God, the fact that he came back from the grave through your love. And we remember that today through the bread and through the cup. And we hold out hope for our redemption and resurrection in the future. And it's through your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's go to the table. That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us, and we'll be back with another episode next week.